0: Last week we started a series titled Ready or Not. We were introduced to the fact that change happens. And you can fight it, you can can try and resist it, but life is all about change. Sometimes it is welcomed, sometimes it is not welcomed. It's hard to cope with change. It's, It's even more difficult when change is imposed upon you suddenly, without our approval. I'm a David Bowie fan, and on November 17, 1971, David Bowie released an excellent, thoughtful song titled, Changes. It's about his reaction to the changes of becoming a rock star. The lyrics give a snapshot of how his artistic thoughts are dealing with fast changes in his rock starness. The song is ranked 128th out of the top 500 rock and roll songs by Rolling Stone magazine. Listen to some of the lyrics. Still don't know what I was waiting for. And my time was running wild, a million dead-end streets. And every time I thought I got it made, it seemed the taste was not so sweet. So I turned my face to face me, but I never caught a glimpse of how the others must see the faker I'm much too fast to take that test. changes Turn and face the strain. changes And he keeps going. Time may change me, but I can't trace time. Great song. Change can be straining, man. Change can throw you off balance. It can mess with your normal, thoughtful reactions. It can throw off the ability to see things with clarity. It can make you face yourself, your true self, and it can reveal your true self. In the fall of 2011, I was an Air Force Reserve Chaplain at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. One weekday, I remember uh, receiving a phone call from my wing chaplain, my boss, uh, Chaplain Dickens. He told me that I was gonna be deployed to Bagram, Afghanistan. For nine months, I had mixed feelings. I remember I was like, oh my gosh, this has changed, man. I was excited to deploy and serve my country, but I also knew that I would be away from my family for nine months physically. I started to face the strain of that new change happening in my life. Later on the same day, I received another phone call a few hours later from Chaplain Dickens. He said, you're not going to Bagram, Afghanistan. I said, what? He goes, you remember turning your your paperwork to go to squadron officer training? And I was like, yeah. He goes, well, that came in today, and you did it before your deployment to Bagram, Afghanistan, so now you're going to Montgomery, Alabama. (laughs) I'm sending it there. And I was like, wow, those are two different reports. I remember being loopy. My eyes were just like, oh my gosh, my brain was spinning. One minute you're going to war, the next minute you're going to Alabama (laughs) to to changes, right? How do you react and cope with change that comes flying out of left field? Well, one reaction is, is that we can grumble about it. Sometimes it's so easy to grumble about change. 2020 was a crazy year. I did a lot of crumbling. It seemed like every day on the news, you tune in, there was change. When COVID-19 cases started accelerating and shooting up in uh, March 2020, you know, suddenly life turned upside down. And I grumbled a lot. I couldn't stand, and I still can't stand that mask. And then, I got tired of carry out food. I wanted to sit in a restaurant, brother. And then you had to put up with all those restrictions. And then, err, another Zoom call. Are you kidding me? But you know, we had to follow those restrictions. I had to follow those restrictions because you're trying to keep vulnerable people safe. But I still grumbled a lot to that change. Another reaction to unforeseen change is to try it and run from it. Time and time again in the scriptures, we see those biblical heroes run from change. Think about Jonah. God called him to bring a message to Nineveh, but he ran the other way and eventually landed on a ship and eventually landed into a belly of a whale. He was running from change. Peter denied Jesus three times and he ran away in grief and he went back to his old occupation. He ran from that change. All of us have tried to run away from a problem that was staring us right in the face. And there's a lot of people that do run from their problems. They run to other things to uh, try to deal with that change or cope with that change. And maybe they pour alcohol down their throat or, or do drugs or, or overeat or overwork. And there's so many things that you can think of people running away from change. Some people even run physically. They move to another, another town, away from change. But none of these methods are really solving the problem, are they? Just postponing the problem for a while. They don't face that change, the strain. They don't deal with it. You just can't run from your problems. Another reaction for unseen change is to rebel against it. It's so easy to shake your fist... In the face of change, dig your heels into the ground and say, I'm not going to allow this. I'm going the opposite way. I'm going to rebel. And we start to counter the change with actions of opposition. When my mom and dad began the process of divorce, I totally rebelled. I'm telling you. I started doing things that were out of Jonathan's character. I started running with the wrong crowd. And I found that the wrong crowd was rebelling just like me against change in their life. As Christians, we have to learn how to handle unpredicted changes in our lives the most appropriate, God-honoring way. Instead of grumbling, running, or rebelling, which are all typical human responses, we need to focus on ways that we can become successful and handle these unforeseen changes in our lives. Folks, both the Old and New Testament, are filled with stories of people who had to deal with unexpected changes. And some of them handled them very appropriately than others. Throughout the changes in their lives, these men and women came to understand that God is sovereign and that everything that happens is within the parameters of his sovereignty. They came to understand that no matter what changes they came to in their life, they had to trust in God. And we see these biblical characters trusted in God and they had contentment in trusting in God. No matter how unexpected it might be, they absolutely they trusted in the good Lord this past week if you if you uh, went through your Bible reading plan, there were several men and women in the Bible reading plan that really went through some serious changes and I want to spend a little time examining their lives and how they reacted to those changes and hopefully we can look at how they trusted God and it could be a great life application as we look over their shoulders, as we look over the scripture writer's sh- shoulders and learn from them. The first person I want to take a look at is Daniel. Daniel. Think about the, the uh, changes that Daniel experience, experienced. He was ripped away as a teenage boy from family, friends. He was taken captive in a strange city in the strange land called Babylon. From the get-go, he was tempted to compromise Everything that he had learned, that he lived and loved from the time he was born. Daniel and several of his friends were chosen to serve the king in Babylon's palace. But before they could do that, they would have to go through three years of training and preparation. First, the Babylonians, they changed their names. And then they told them that they would have to eat royal food and drink royal wine. Some of them, some of the food and wine would defile God's purity food laws. Let's look at Daniel's reaction to this change. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with royal food and wine. He asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. Now the king's meat and the king's wine represented the pleasures of the world in Babylon at that time. He wanted these young men to adopt a eat, drink, and be merry type of, of attitude toward life. Daniel was not just turning down hamburgers and fries, my friends. This was the best food in the world at that time. It was the king's delicacies, and the king wanted these, uh, these men to experience those delicacies. This was the finest food and wine in existence. And I'm sure in the light of the palace, it looked a lot better than the darkness of the prison. So they were always tempted to do this. And I guarantee you, eating at the king's table sure sure looked better than the king's gallows. But Daniel had the courage in his convictions. Daniel was being tempted to do three things. To learn the world's wisdom, to live the world's way, and love the world's wealth. The scripture says, did you catch it? Daniel resolved. Resolve is a great word, isn't it? It's a great word. You see, the issue was not meat and the wine. The issue was Daniel's decision. You're the person you are today because of the decisions you made yesterday. You're the person you'll be tomorrow. It is determined by the decisions you make today. You could change Daniel's home but you could not change Daniel's heart. You can change Daniel's name, but you could not change Daniel's nature. You could put Daniel into Babylon, but you could not get Babylon out of Daniel, or into Daniel. Yeah, into Daniel. (laughs) Do you know why Daniel kept his food purity? Because he said one magic word, and that is no. Do you know why he could say no? Because first he said yes to God's convictions. He could say no to the world because he had said yes to God. That little word, no, may be the, be the most powerful word in the English language. When change comes, change wants you to change and be less than your convictions at times, doesn't it? It's always causing or calling to say, go astray, Jonathan. Go astray, Mark. Go astray, Betty. Go this way. But you see, God wants us to stand firm in when we face these changes. Daniel is one example of someone who trusted God during cataclysmic change. In the Bible reading plan, we also read about Esther. Esther lived about 100 years after Daniel. And Babylon was conquered by the Persians. And that became... The Persian Empire became the world's superpower at the time. King Xerxes was the king of Persia. And one day he became unhappy with his queen, Queen Vishnu. So he got rid of her and he began to search for a new queen. Esther at the time was a Jew living in Persia in exile. She was being raised by her uncle Mordecai because her mother, mother and father were dead. Now Esther was drop dead gorgeous the scripture says. She was very, very beautiful, and her beauty turned heads, especially the heads of the king's attendants because they were out in Persia trying to find the most beautiful women for their king. King Xerxes, when, he was, when, when Esther was presented to him, he was like, whoa, wubba, wubba. Man, she's going to be my queen. And so he made her his new queen. Now there's a man named Haman who was part of the king's court. And he didn't like the Jews at all. He didn't like Mordecai because Mordecai would not give Haman the honor that he felt he deserved. So Haman hatched the plot to have all the Jews in Persia killed. And he got the king, Xerxes, he got King Xerxes to buy along with this uh, agreement here or, or this, this, thing, this law that he wanted to put out there. When Mordecai and all the Jews living in Persia heard about it, they were distraught. They couldn't have seen this coming, and I'm sure they were, they were just trying to live their lives quietly while being in exile, but then suddenly everything changed in their lives with this edict. They learned that the death warrant was out for them. So Mordecai reached out to his niece, Esther, who was living in the palace, and he sent her a message through one of his, her servants, Mordecai wanted Esther to go to King Xerxes and get him to rescind that order to kill the Jews. But there was just one problem, one problem. No one was allowed to talk, go and talk to the king, unless he invited them to come and talk with him. Even the queen. And he had invited her to talk with him for a long time. Let's look at this scripture together. Uh, and This is Esther sending a message back to her uncle Mordecai. And then his reply. All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned by the king has, uh, or the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed. She's saying this to Mordecai, since I was called to go to the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you're alone. You alone of all Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your family's family will perish. And who knows, and this is beautiful, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. She grabbed up courage. She approached the king. And everything happened. The king accepted her. The edict was eliminated. The Jews were saved. Actually, Mordecai was elevated to position. She saved her pe- her people and their future. And all this change, Esther held firm, and she trusted that God would save her, and she gave of herself in sacrifice The ministry. It was a ministry to others. Talk about courage in the midst of that change. Esther's a hero, man. I love her. Each Christmas, we hear the story of Joseph, Jesus's earthly father. I think Joseph gets a bum rap He should get more credit, you know. And I'm going to give you more credit this morning. We remember that while he was busy making his plans to marry the woman he loved, he got some news that would turn his world upside down. The Gospel of Matthew tells the story in this way. Let's look at it. This is how the birth of Jesus Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. at the beginning of scripture Joseph Joseph's, Joseph's wrecked by this change it's the first time he's even mentioned in the bible and then boom change comes upon it and he's thinking about just going ahead and and dismissing Mary quietly it reminds me of a joke uh, there's this woman she was about to get married to this guy and she went through premarital counseling with the pastor and she came to her pastor and said You're not going to believe this. I thought I knew everything about my fiance. Yesterday he revealed to me that he has a wooden leg. Should I break it off? (laughs) Oh, that's bad, isn't (laughs) it? You guys are going to tell that joke tomorrow. (laughs) Yes, you are. Oh, anyway, you know why pastors get told uh, bad jokes? Because they got a captive audience anyway. So Joseph is thinking about breaking it off, not Mary's leg. He just has a real problem on his hand. He has a young teenager who is pregnant, but it's not his child. So what what was he to do? According to the law, if a young lady was found to be unfaithful before marriage took place, one of three things could happen. She could be stoned to death publicly, or the husband-to-be could make a public disgrace of her and a public spectacle of her in some form and then publicly announce her unfaithfulness or, third, he could put her away, dismiss her quietly. He decides to divorce her quietly. I think he took time. He didn't react right away. He took time to prayerfully and thoughtfully uh, just allow this to to play out and see what the Lord's guidance was. Why? Because it says he was faithful to the law. We're so reactionary these days, aren't we? Think about how change comes and then people pop up stuff on social media, either Twitter or Facebook, and bang, all of a sudden they have to delete their account because they're reactionary to that change. I think Joseph stepped back And he thought about everything, and he prayed through it. In the midst of crazy change, we also need to remember that righteousness and faithful to God and God's word provides an amazing rock that we can stand on. And that's what held Joseph together during change. Faithfulness in doing what is right keeps us steady and solid. And what did God do? God saw it, and God sent a messenger, an angel to Joseph to tell Joseph the plan. And Joseph followed that plan faithfully. He gave Jesus the name, Jesus. He took a faithful step and did his will. The final person I want to look at is the Apostle Paul. Paul took the gospel to people outside the Jewish faith. Think about all the change that Paul endured. He was run out of town. He was persecuted by Jews and Gentiles alike. He was beaten, tried, whipped, imprisoned multiple times. Yet he learned how to be content and be at peace and experience joy in the midst of it. Sometimes when he was chained to the walls, he sung hymns to the Lord. He learned to be that content in the middle of it all. I think of the the contentment passage is one of the scriptures that I first memorized Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And that's all all the things, that changes that have come upon him. And he found his strength. And over his years of growing in Christ and having all of these experiences, Paul had that inner sense of peace and contentment. He knew what was right. He knew what was right, and he did the will of God. He knew that no matter what happened, God was sovereign and in control of everything that happened to him. That kept him firm and steady. Look at these words that he writes. And this is, this is just spiritual titanium, man. Look at this. Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. You see, filled with the Holy Spirit, Paul didn't lose heart. All that stuff that happened to him didn't really, he said, really just didn't amount to anything at all. His afflictions, persecutions, hardships painted the picture of his outward self just wasting away yes but that wasn't the whole picture or even the most important part of the picture the spiritual was there the unseen the holy spirit abiding in him empowering him to live and minister Paul trusted the Holy Spirit of God and the ministry of the Holy Spirit and it constantly changed his inner being to where his inner being, he said, was being renewed every day, every day, for today. Paul doesn't fix his his eyes on what he was going through or the circumstances and changes he's faced. Instead, Paul put his hope on the one who is unseen, the one who is unchanging, and who is that? lord jesus christ we must do the same when we face the strain of changes stand firm in faith don't compromise keep faithful ask the holy spirit to strengthen you because the holy spirit hears our groanings and will fill our lives and minister unto us stop looking down and constantly staring or sulking about the change. I want to ask the band uh, members to come up here, and what we want to do is we're going to take some time. I want, I want you to have the Spirit of God minister to you. Yeah, there's, I know there's probably changes all over the place. There's rooms filled with changes that you're going through. But I want us to take some time and focus on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter, of our faith the one who is the same yesterday today and forever the one whose love and care never ends jesus will be faithful to accomplish everything in us and through us and that's his promise to us